Hi, everybody. I'm Ben Myers, and welcome to another edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm the Assistant Director for Communications and Marketing here at the Law School. And in just a minute, I'm going to be joined by Professor Mary Lynch, who holds a lot of different positions here at the Law School. She's the Kate Stoneman Chair in Law and Democracy, the Director for the Center for Excellence in Law Teaching, and also the Director of the Domestic Violence Prosecution Hybrid Clinic. And she's going to be joined by a 3L or third year law student student Candace White, who has just accepted a job in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, but was a student in that hybrid clinic, and that's going to be the focus of much of our talk today. Before we get to it, though, as always, our reminders, albanylaw.edu slash coronavirus, just to stay up to date on scheduling and all the different resources available from the law school during this uh, current pandemic. And you can also visit us virtually, since you can't get to campus right now, that's albanylaw.edu slash admissions and we have an accepted student section there that can answer a lot of questions that people have right now if you can hear my voice you can also hear previous episodes of the podcast that's on all the major podcast services and soundcloud and make sure to follow us on social media we announce when the podcast when the new episodes of the podcast are up but we also have all kinds of virtual events that are happening right now and one of the best ways to connect to those virtual events is through our social media pages facebook instagram twitter And uh, just to review with everybody, if this is the first time you're hearing the podcast, our schedule, usually Tuesdays, we we focus on academics and current events and law school stuff like uh, financial aid or the registrar's office or the career center, those kind of things with our administrators and our faculty and our staff. And then Thursdays tend to be the more student-focused podcasts with our Meet the Student series and also getting in touch with some of our alums out in the real world. But that's enough for me. Let's get over and talk to Mary and Candace. So we're back here with uh, Professor Lynch and Candace White. And uh, Candace, if you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, just to get people uh, more familiar with you out there listening to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So hi, my name is Candace White. Um, I'm currently a 3L at Albany Law School, and I'm Uh, Professor Mary Lynch's teaching assistant for the Domestic Violence Hybrid Clinic. This is my second semester as her teaching assistant. I was also one of the students in her Domestic Violence Hybrid Clinic, and I'm an executive editor on the Albany Law Review. And Mary, if you would just introduce yourself. My name is Mary Lynch. I'm the Kate Stoneman Professor of Law here at Albany Law School, and for Over the last 20 years, I've been directing our domestic violence prosecution hybrid clinic. I am really going to miss Candace, and I just have to brag on the fact that she will be starting at the Manhattan DA's office as an assistant district attorney and continuing to be doing justice for the people of the state of New York. Yeah, I have no problem with bragging about our very accomplished students. (laughs) Love to hear it. Um, Mary, though, I, we're going to start with you. If you would, and you, you touched on a little bit here, you've been doing it for 20 years, the Domestic Violence Prosecution Hybrid Clinic. Um, how does it work? What what exactly does it do? How can students get engaged with it? Just uh, give us kind of an overview of that uh, clinic. I'd be delighted to. So so the, the idea behind the Domestic Violence Prosecution Hybrid Clinic was to take, it's a hybrid because we wanted to combine the sort of academic rigorousness, the skill building, and the intensive faculty support that you get in an in-house clinic 
with the particularly unique experience our students can get because Albany Law School has um, developed uh, a cadre of very experienced and um, exceptionally talented uh, trial lawyers and appellate lawyers in the area of special victims units throughout New York, New York State. And so the idea was that students could uh, really start doing this challenging work, but with this safety net of uh, intensive faculty guidance uh, by myself and then by a student who has graduated through the program already, who's Candace, um, and that we would uh, have back on campus the kind of procedural law, substantive law, talk about vicarious trauma, help students identify their professional identity as to whether this is an area of law they want to do, and at the same time, equip them so they can help local district attorney's offices, special victims units, and the coordinated community response to domestic violence to better serve survivors and to really the approach being support and dignity to survivors and victims instead of what was really traditionally a blame and shame kind of community response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Candice, I just want to turn to you quickly. Uh, as Mary said, you you have a kind of a unique perspective as you've been through this um, as a student, and now you're helping in more of a leadership role. Can you just tell me a little bit more about your experiences with the clinic? Yeah, absolutely. So while I was in the clinic, I was placed at the Albany County DA's office, and on my very first day, I actually got to appear before a judge. Um, went on the record uh, to represent the people. Um, And I believe it was a bail hearing that I did at the time. Um, This was about two years ago. And it was just an absolutely incredible experience from from the get-go. And not only did I have these strong mentors at the Albany County DA's office who were able to guide me through what the day-to-day activities of an ADA look like, but in Professor Lynch's class, I also had the ability to participate in recorded simulations where I could fine tune the skills that I would then use in the courtroom at the Albany County DA's office so that I could make my mistakes and I could be uncomfortable and I could feel the bumpiness of what being an ADA may look like without actually having worked with a victim that would see the the learning experience and the professional identity growth that I was going through. So, you know, it the compound between the the hybrid clinic and the classroom it's just it's designed essentially to make sure that you see every facet of what a case would go through in the SVU unit and i couldn't have asked for a better experience mm, yeah and and unfortunately i guess uh, with everybody being uh, stuck at home and you know, the social distancing and everything like that. I know I've read in the Times Union uh, here in Albany over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some statistics that domestic violence is a little bit on the rise um, because of the pandemic and people being home and in such proximity with each other. Uh, I know each case is unique and in, especially in emergency situations, um, you know, contact authorities and that kind of thing. But what Maybe, Mary, if you could speak about kind of in general terms, what can people do if they need help? So let me say right away that that the people who really need to step up right now, and this was covered 
really well by the uh, by PBS uh, in in a you can go to that website to see some documentation and it came from the director of the National Domestic Violence Hotline is that folks right now who are sheltering with abusive, violent, controlling, um, unbalanced folks, um, this is now COVID-19 is a tool of oppression. It's a tool of abuse. And so they may not be able to use a telephone or a laptop because they may be being monitored and being stalked within their home about their access. So it's really up to the rest of us to look and make sure what do we see happening? Is someone who's a neighbor suddenly not at all on any electronic equipment? Is a you know a girlfriend or a, a, a local a male friend suddenly not doing any kind of social media connection in this uh, pandemic? That could be a red flag. Um, secondly, for those who do have access, I think uh, calling the uh, the local hotline, the New York State hotline, calling the national hotline is the best way to get the, the quickest advance. Of course, if an emergency is ongoing, call the local police. The courts are open for these kind of emergency situations. And there are a cadre of pro bono and other lawyers who are trying to help, including lawyers in our justice center, trying to help those with these kind of emergency legal needs. Um, I do know that the district attorneys that we are working with and my students who are working with them are continuing to work on sexual assault and domestic violence cases during COVID-19. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's actually one thing I was going to kind of follow up and ask you here. Um, what does that kind of continued work look like? Is it a lot of these Zoom meetings? Is it uh, email? I mean, it, just if you, I know sure. you can't really divulge too much, but if you could just no, pull the I curtain can, back I can a little. kind of give you a sense of it. So for, uh, I have one student who is trying to work with victims by, you know, telephone um, uh, to try to, encourage people not to lose hope, uh, to continue to reach out to, to law enforcement. And even when in, the, in one particular case, you know, a victim just wants it all kind of to stop right now, is, is afraid, um, there is an ability of our students to be victim-centered, non-judgmental, to meet the victim where the victim's at for this moment in time, hoping, hoping that later on, uh, when uh, the survivor or victim feels it's safest, they can access, again, the services of courts or law enforcement um, or pro bono lawyers. Um, I know the rest of our Justice Center is busy. Some of them are doing online trainings to help um, folks, including our Community Development Center. I have students doing um, a lot of research, as you know, Zoom meetings, they're having Zoom or face chat or Skype or other meetings with supervisors. We just did a big supervisor's training on how to work with students on Tuesday, led by Professor Moore and our field placement program and Professor Brescia, who's a legal ethics expert, talking about confidentiality uh, in, in, in virtual connection. So we're on top of it. We're uh, going forward and, um, you know, the pain of survivors doesn't end just because we're sheltering and we're trying to do all we can to continue to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 
it's it's tough but uh, i think we're all starting to to make those adjustments that we really need to uh during this time and it's uh, yeah. it's tough just want to change up gears just a little bit here before we get to the famous lightning round i uh, want to ask candace about her experiences with albany law review we've been getting some questions coming in about albany law review um candace just how'd you get involved what is it like like what's like the workflow pattern of albany law review and you know how do you go from nothing complete blank pages to a complete finished product if you wouldn't mind just walking us through that of course so the way that you get involved with a law review or a journal um, is twofold so the first option is that you would grade on um, albany law review takes the top 10 percent of our class and then we have two other journals who take uh, i think it's the top 15 and 18 or top 15 and 20 um, but there are multiple opportunities to get involved with a law review or a journal through grading on, or you can complete a competition, which takes place over the summer. Um, you basically do a mock subedit, which a subedit is what you would be doing um, as a member of the law review or of a journal. And then from there, you're graded, and those with the highest grades are accepted onto the Albany Law Review. And then as the grades from the competition kind of decrease, um, they take the top of the people who have, you know, really excelled for the second and third journals and law reviews that we have on campus. Um, it's a competitive process, but it's absolutely worthwhile to do the competition because a lot of jobs, a lot of judges, they actually will not hire unless you have worked for a law or unless you've been on a law review or a journal. So it's really a vital experience to have. Um, to have underdone or undertaken in law school. I will also say that, you know, competitive and it can kind of be stressful at the same time, but I've made some of my best friends on Law Review. I have found a community of people who are so like-minded in terms of my personality that I've found the people I will be friends with for the rest of my life. And it's really been a niche opportunity for me to kind of connect with other people. Um, so the way that the journal works structure-wise is when you're a second-year law student, you're a sub-editor, which means that you would go in and you're assigned a certain number of footnotes. So an author would send us an article. We would split up the footnotes and the text that corresponds with the footnotes, and then we'd assign it to a sub-editor. And then the sub-editors will edit in accordance with the Blue Book, in accordance with Chicago-style um, grammar. From there, it would be passed up to an editorial board member, which is a 3L. Um, I'm currently an editorial board member, so I would be assigned a certain number, number of articles that I would review. And I basically correct what the sub-editors have done. Um, most of the time, by the, by the time it gets to a, a 3L, the work is pretty well done. Um, and then we also check to make sure that every source that an author has used actually supports what they're trying to say. And if they need more support, or if you know we need to change it into quotations or anything of that nature, that's something that's handled by both the two Ls and the three Ls. So within our board structure, you know the the articles will move through three to four separate sets of eyes depending on the point of time in the year. Um, so it's a pretty thorough process where an article is being edited by numerous people, but we prefer to do it that way because we make sure that it's really the articles are gone through with a fine tooth comb. Um, and then my position on the editorial board is uh, kind of twofold as well. I plan a symposium that would have happened 
this spring, but is currently on hold um, indefinitely for the time being. But then I'm also a book editor. So I work with authors. I collect the articles that ultimately we will publish. And it's an absolutely incredible experience. If you don't know a lot about law reviews or journals, um, the gist of them is that a lot of legal scholars, a lot of experts in these niche areas will write about emerging topics. They'll write about you know hot button issues in the law. And a lot of times law review articles and journal articles are what's used to further evolve the law. So it's really a great way to learn about different practice areas that you never would be involved with otherwise. Yeah, it's being a former newspaper person. Yep, it sounds pretty familiar, <laughs> the kind of how things work for sure. Um, but that does lead us to the part of the show that everybody loves to be a part of. It oh, is, oh, oh boy, Candace. It is the famed <laughs> Albany Law School podcast lightning round. Are you prepared Woo! for the famed Albany Law School podcast? All right, podcast wait a minute. I, I'm rolling up my sleeves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first one here is for Mary. And okay. this one I know is very near and dear to your heart, Professor Lynch. Talk okay. to me about Kate Stoneman and her accomplishments. This is not a question. This is more of a request than a question in the lightning. All right. This, yeah, this is basically playing to my like hobby. Um, yeah, Kate, I am so, so honored to be the Kate Stoneman uh, professor of law. Uh, Kate Stoneman uh, basically is a suffragette. Uh, a feminist who fought for equality. She also was an abolitionist. Um, she uh, she was on the right side of everything in the in the latter half of the 19th century and the early 20th century. And and she is a claim to fame for all New Yorkers, all New Yorkers, um, particularly uh, every New York lawyer who presents as female, because Kate Stoneman not only was the first woman admitted to the bar of the state of New York. But she successfully, within one day, convinced the legislature and then got the governor to vote to change the law so that she could be admitted to the bar and so that no one could be discriminated against based on gender or race. Uh, and then she went back to a court that had denied her admission based on the fact that she was female and who had found that there was no necessity, no precedent, no English precedent to admit her to the bar. And she presented them with her admission papers under the new legislation and they admitted her to the bar. Uh, she was amazing and, I, and my favorite quote of hers uh, is so relevant for students. There are always, always opportunities to be had. And she is one of our most favorite alums too of yes. Albany Law School. I, yes. She's uh she was it's a really pretty incredible story of she was just seems like a very tough lady that dealt with a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. And she and she also had incredible uh she was collaborative. So the reason she was able to do this is she had all her friends suffragettes or suffragists, male or female, uh lobby with her. Uh, and those of you who tour Albany Law School can see that's her actual, you know, 19th century dress that is on the landing going between the second and the third floors of the law school. Yeah, it's it's, it's very cool thing. Um, let me uh, get Candace in here on the lightning round. So Candace, I know you went to undergrad in Florida and then you worked in D Washington, D.C. before you came up here to Albany. 
but just from a student's perspective, what's living and working in Albany been like for you? You know, it's absolutely been incredible. Um, I'm originally from Florida. That's where I was raised. So going to undergrad in Florida was a natural progression for me. Um, I didn't really think about leaving at the time, but when I went to undergrad, I learned that there weren't a lot of opportunities for undergrads to get involved. And I had a really difficult time finding internships. I actually started a nonprofit um, because I wanted to be engaged with the community. And that was just something that was difficult to do. And when I moved up here, that wasn't the case at all. And it has been an incredible opportunity, not only to be involved in the community, but to be able to access so many internships, so many field placements. And, you know, that's a product of the school's work with the community and just the nature of the community itself. You know, for the capital district here, there are so many opportunities. And if you're willing to put yourself out there and to pursue those opportunities, there are so many more, so many ample opportunities to be involved. And, you know, adjusting to the snow and not having a beach five minutes away from where you live practically at all times, that's been an adjustment. But in terms of my professional identity, I couldn't have imagined coming to a better place. Uh, you're, I don't know. I, I really hate the snow and like <laughs> going to the beach. <laughs> no, I, I justify it by saying that the falls up here are the most incredible part. So I'll deal with the snow if it means getting to have the fall. All right. Fair enough. Fair, fair, fair trade. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. She also is known, like me, to really like some of the food around here. Oh, and, yeah. and we make sure we have it whenever we have our brainstorming. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what are you guys eating? Well, there's the Greek <laughs> fries. We have um, uh, empanadas from Llama, the Llama place. We do we do a lot of different things. And then I, of course, inevitably have like a Mary Poppins pocketbook with lots of dark chocolate treats in it, which, you know, are always good. Right, Candace? Absolutely. It's what gets you through the clinic, the snack. That's right. <laughs> Um, okay, so a couple of, uh, of good ones here before, for both of you. Um, we'll start with Candace on this first one. What's your favorite book about SVU issues? So there is an author, a feminist author named Jessica Valenti. She actually is a graduate of the University at Albany, and um, she has a book called Sex Object, and it kind of discusses the dichotomy of uh, a very masculine society and how a lot of times women just fall into these gender based or these gender stereotypes and pushing through those norms pushing through a patriarchal society to kind of come out and form your own identity is oftentimes a struggle and the book really talks about how women are so often sexualized and while SVU does expand to both men and women statistically speaking women are more likely to be the victims of domestic violence so the book kind of explores how to, you know, how to navigate this patriarchal society while also remembering that your identity as a female does matter and that trying to get past these norms is what can oftentimes help women to find the strength that they need to leave domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mary, what's your favorite book for SVU? Okay, issues? I'm going to answer with my holy trinity. I have like a shamrock three that are inseparable. <laughs> um, the first is fiction, which is uh, Black and Blue uh, by a famous, and I'm blanking out on her name now, Anna Quinlan. Anna Quinlan uh, wrote an incredible book about a 
uh, woman who was uh, the spouse, longtime spouse of a police officer batterer. I think it really gives an insight that that is needed. Uh, a second one is Kate Mann, who's a Cornell philosopher, and her book Down Girl. Um, and really, it's about the logic of misogyny and what we think of misogyny as hating women, but that's not really what misogyny is. Uh, misogyny is the pushback against um, uh, women who don't accept uh, the caring and objectification and the norms really of male privilege. Um, and then the third book is um, uh, Roddy Doyle. He's an Irish author, The Woman Who Walked Into Doors. And I think the combination of those three is my holy trinity of the favorite you know, book. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, there you go. Three for one. You, it's like you knew the lightning round was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I always take advantage of any question. That's what, you know, if a judge asks me a question and I can get two more points in rather than one, why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. La last one of the official lightning round here. Um, and we'll start with you this time, Mary. If you could be on a legal or courtroom movie, what would your courtroom movie be? Oh, I would want to be in Aaron Brockovich. And um, I think I want to play like her supervisor, but you know, we would, we, we could do mail, we could do a switching on it. Like, but I would, I love the, like her harried old time lawyer trying to do justice. And then you have this whippersnapper paralegal come in. And I would love to play like a gender switch on that. And um, I don't, you know, and, and I would, I just love that movie. So like Eric Brockovich is first. Right, there Eric. you go. That's you go. And I don't know what we're going to do about the bustier. Maybe we have to do something, you know, yeah. whatever's equivalent male. Right? Get creative. We got to get creative. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Candice, for you, uh, what's your uh, legal or courtroom movie you want to be in? You know, I think that being a part of the, tail end of the millennial generation I, I should say legally blonde but my answer is actually just mercy and i don't know if you know any of you have read the book or seen the movie but it is so compelling and it really shines light on the importance of ethical prosecution so i think i'd want to be one of the the civil rights advocates that are so aptly portrayed in that movie yeah, that's that's a good one too. That's a very good one too. Um, before we wrap it up here on the podcast, um, if either of you have anything else you wanted to add, or maybe something we haven't touched on, or maybe a message to uh, accepted students or students looking to graduate, I mean, just anything you'd like to share here at well, the end. I, yeah, I I just would like to share that one thing that I think is really the reason I've stayed at Albany Law for thirty years is that I get to have such a personal relationship with all my students. So. So the domestic violence hybrid clinic is usually like a one to seven, one to eight, eight ratio per semester, depending on student interest and supervisors, et cetera. And the favorite part of most of the faculty here of our jobs, we do our scholarship, we're known nationally, but it's, it's the relationships we've developed with students. And that's what makes, I think, Albany Law unique. And I also think it's what makes my job so wonderful. And for Candace, how about you? Anything to add here at the end? Yeah, I mean, for prospective students and for accepted students, don't be afraid to get involved. You know, your first year, you won't necessarily be very involved um, because your focus will be on adjusting to being a 1L. But your second and third year, you're going to have so many different opportunities from getting involved with clinics, doing field placements, um, to also on-campus activities, 
you know, we have a student bar association, we have, um, you know, a Federalist Society, uh, college Democrats, or like a law school Democrats. And then there are also opportunities to be a research assistant with numerous professors. And you learn so much and just the day to day activities of everything that can be done. So don't be afraid to sign up, get involved to ask professors for opportunities because the opportunities are there. Yeah, that's, it's one thing I've definitely heard from a lot of students is just, uh, yeah, you, there's the opportunity, you just don't let it pass you by kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's a, a great one uh, to let everybody know here at the end. Um, but all I can say is thank you so much, uh, Candice and Mary, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Keep washing your hands, everyone. <laughs>